what have you. Now, before you turn anywhere, I'm just going to questions, give a little bit of an introduction. So, at this moment in, in our study, we're kind of looking at ecclesiology, which is the doctrine of the church, and we're looking under it under the heading of the authority that Christ has given, and we're looking really scriptural authority, that scripture is totally sufficient and clear for us to live lives of godliness, to glorify God, and even how to structure and run the church that he has given us, local church, right? And so We've been looking at the last several weeks, Brother Joey bringing forth what we believe to be a scriptural principle is the regulative principle of worship, that we only worship God corporately when we come together, how God has explicitly commanded us to worship. And then in this next part, I've tried to show what the, in my mind, these words make sense. I hope they make sense to you. The constituent parts of the church being members, elders, and deacons. Uh, that these are the three main components of what makes uh, a fully formed church. Now, I want to clarify, and I think I tried a little bit, but I'm going to clarify further. By that, I don't mean that there's some sort of hierarchy where there's just members at the bottom, and then there's a little bit higher deacons, and then a little bit higher than that is elders, right? Now, we can get that idea in our minds, but we have to keep in mind that membership in the local church is what Everybody in this system is. An elder is a member of the church. Brother Caleb is a deacon. He is a member in the local church. The only difference that we really have is the function that we have in that local church. Um, Elder and deacon are set apart as men, and we'll get to that if we want to talk about that. I don't want to say argue. Talk about that. Um, But we really see this in 1 Peter chapter 4. I think this is a wonderful place to perhaps start our discussion. As we talked about elders last week, and elders, if you remember, what is the elder's primary responsibility in the church? You can answer this in a couple ways. Yeah, brother? Teaching and praying. Yes. So I would say exercising oversight through the ministry of the Word of God and prayer, right? Um, That's an excellent way to put it. So the, the elder's office is an office of, of spiritual giftedness, so to speak, that's always and ever connected to a godly Christian life. But with the giftedness part, in 1 Peter chapter 4, I want us to see that I think the Word of God consistently here in Romans 12 splits up the spiritual gifts into two different sections. Notice um, Peter writes... I'll start in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now notice, he starts to talk about gifts. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied gifts. And then he splits that into two. Whoever speaks... As one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, 
and we'll see that in Romans chapter 12 as well, that when the apostles speak of spiritual giftedness in the church, they're primarily talking about speaking gifts to build up the church of God through teaching the Word of God and serving gifts, right? Where we take care of the physical necessities, typically, of the people of God. And I, I think that as we thought, talk about elders and deacons, we have these two offices because we have men who have been shown to be particularly gifted in these two areas as office holders in the church of God. Members, but members who have been recognized in order to lead the church in a specific way. So, last week we talked about eldership, and elders being the teaching function of the church, teaching the Word of God, and prayer, and overseeing in those things. So, when we talk about deacons, what is the difficulty of trying to understand what a deacon is and does in the church. I I hope that that's... uh, Erica. No, no. Because there's just no job description of what a deacon is told to do. Right. And I understand what you're saying. He's, He's not in the office of elder, but he is a person that is esteemed as an elder, right? Um... But yeah, Brother Caleb's right. When we think about the text and the scripture that explicitly talk about a deacon, we're really left with very few things. In fact, there are only two texts that really come to mind that explicitly tell us what deacons are. What, what are those? What are one of those? Titus doesn't mention deacons. Close, though. I know where you're going. That's close to it. Yeah, that's close to explicit, I think. <laughs> the office of deacon is only mentioned in two texts. And people are going to dispute this, as they do anything. But I think two clear texts. Uh, the first would be 1 Timothy, right? So, um, 1 Timothy, chapter 3. This is the qualifications. And again, uh, as you're turning there, I just remind you that Paul wrote the book of Timothy... As he says in verse, chapter 3 and verse, 16, or verse 15, um, he writes these things so that if I delay, you may know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And part of that is ordaining elders and deacons. We have the ordination of elders and what we're to look for in elders in verses 1 through 7. And then in verses 8 through 13, we have what we must look for in deacons. And notice what it says. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified. Not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons be each the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And keep your finger there. We're going to be going back to that text because it's really important for us. What's the other text that explicitly mentions deacon by word? Philippians. Philippians 1.1, right? Amen. So Philippians 1.1. And if we're hoping that we're going to get a little more clarity about what the office of deacon actually does here, um, I, I don't think that we're going to find it here. I don't find it here. 
Notice what's said. Philippians 1.1, the only the second explicit text about the office of deacon. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the issue that we have, we have a lot of data, and I hope we saw that last week, of what the elder does, right? What the elder is expected to do. And with deacon, we have very little explicit data to go on. Now, that lends it, lends it to uh, a couple of different things. First, we can have different interpretations pretty easily of what the office of deacon is and who even fits that office because there's so little data given in the New Testament. But that shouldn't give way or let us give way to the mindset that, well, since there's, not, there's so little explicitly said, we don't care what our deacons do, right? Because that's typically what we do. We take the lazy way out. I think that we deny the clarity and sufficiency of Scripture, and we say, well, since there's so little, we're just going to have deacons do whatever we want them to do, right? What, what are some ways that we've seen deacons function? Maybe in other churches that we've been at? Helping meet the needs of the needy, right? And I think that's good. That's biblical. We, we see that in Acts chapter 6. We can turn there. Let's turn there. Acts chapter 6. I'm trying not to go all over the place, so please, if I'm being confusing, rein me in. Um, Acts chapter 6. <coughs> this is a very important text we're going to come back to as well. This is taken historically by the church uh, from the beginning days of Christianity until now to be kind of a proto-deacon office. The word deacon isn't used, but this is, seems to fit the pattern. And I want us to notice a couple of things. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So what this means is the Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenists, started complaining about the Hebrew-speaking Jews because the Greek-speaking Jews were being pushed aside because they weren't real Hebrews, so to speak, and not being taken care of. So there's a problem because of this. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So sometimes deacons just take over the benevolence ministry of the church because we see very clearly in this text that's what they did in Acts chapter 6. That's a good, I think, a good example of what a deacon does. What's a bad example? Yes, brother. Oh, give another good example then. I'm sorry. Yeah. And there's the criteria or the prerequisite for an elder. Yes. And there's the criteria for deacon. Yes. And the real difference, or the only difference, maybe, is that the teaching. Yes. Amen. Connects to what we just read. Yes. Go away from preaching. Yes. 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 Exactly. And the deacon office and elder office work so well together, and we see this in Acts 6, because the deacon is meant to be a buffer to help the elder, to be engaged consistently in the word of God and prayer, okay? But I'll, I'll give you the bad examples. Deacons 
can be, because we don't have a lot of biblical evidence, we say, well, the guy that mows the lawn, he's the deacon of our lawn care, deacon of chair stacking ministry, right? Could be just the guy that oversees the finances. Or to the other extreme, where deacons take on menial responsibilities for the church, the other extreme is that deacons really are the elders of the church, right? They really sit over the pastor in some degree to some, in some situations where they're in charge of firing the pastor, hiring the pastor. They have the power and the authority of the church, sometimes through the pastor's salary, to kind of force him to go where they want him to go. Okay? So, deacon is something that I think we have to try to understand biblically. And I think that 1 Timothy chapter 3 actually gives us some good ground to land on. Not explicitly, but implicitly. Now, this is, this is what I'm trying to prove, okay? That the deacon is not just somebody that mows the lawn or stacks chairs, even though he, he may do those things, and everybody might do those things, but the office is something a little bit higher than that. And I think that we see that because of these spiritual qualifications, right? That the implication that there are actually qualifications given is that this is a high and esteemed office, right? All are called to be servants, right? And Jesus Christ tells us in the Gospels, in Mark chapter 10, that we're not to be like the Gentiles. How do the Gentiles act? They, they lord their authority over those under them, Right? But we are to be servants. And the one that, is, that serves all, that is slave of all, is the greatest of all in the kingdom of God. And so we ought to see that being a servant is not a low thing, but there's something special about this office. Now, part of the confusion is the Greek word that we have for deacon. And it's used all over the New Testament in various places, but it has such a wide semantic range. It can mean multiple kind of things that a lot of confusion enters into the discussion. And there's kind of four main ways that we can see what deacon can mean. It can mean just servant, just a servant. It can mean specifically a table servant. And we might think of John chapter 2, when Jesus is turning water into wine and those servants that come and bring the wine to the master of the feast, they're deacons in that text. Um, it might be a messenger, okay? And a good example for that, I think, is in Colossians chapter 1. Um, <coughs> in Colossians chapter 1, where Paul, in verse 25... Talking about the gospel, he says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me to make the word of God fully known. Uh, I believe here the word steward is the word that we have for deacon, and it is pointing to the fact that Paul was a messenger of the gospel to the people of Colossae. Paul is a deacon, right? We see in many places that Christ is a servant. That's Christ in the Greek is a deacon. Where else do we see, maybe you that have dabbled in Greek a little bit, the word deacon used for other things? Romans chapter 13, we see that the government is God's servant, is God's deacon, right? Now, I think that the, probably a foolish thing for us to do is to collapse all those together and say that all of these are the office of deacon. as talked about in 1 Timothy 3. 
You say, well, that can't be the case. We're not going to ordain Joe Biden as a deacon of our church just because he's in the government, right? So I think that what it means is the fourth way that this word is usually used, and it is an assistant. And that's what Brother Ricky brought out here. The elders in Acts chapter 6, the apostles, they gathered together the full number of disciples because there was a problem with the ministry. And they said, pick seven men whom you can appoint to this because we cannot give up the word of God and prayer. My own words, right? And so the deacons assisted the elders in an instance where they needed assistance. And while I think it usually involves benevolence ministry and taking care of the needs of people to, the, to a high degree, I think it can encompass anything that would help the elders not to, to ne- neglect the word of God in prayer. And that's kind of the, the idea with this book, which we would highly recommend to you, by Alexander Strauch, Paul's vision for the deacons assisting the elders with the care of God's church. And Brother Caleb bought three copies of each. So we've got a few copies back there. If you'd like in the library to grab one, please grab one. And then I haven't read this one yet. Matt, Matt Smethurst from uh, Nine Marks has this book, Deacons, as well. So we have this assistant view. And I, what I'm saying is that the qualifications given in 1 Timothy, they imply a, a length of time and they imply a high view of this office. Um, now, I want us to see that they, these qualifications show a high caliber of spiritual maturity as well. If we look through the qualifications given for a deacon in 1 Timothy chapter 3, they're almost totally equivalent with that of an elder in God's church with one thing missing, that they're apt to teach, that they have a, a noticeable gifting to teach the Word of God. But that is the only difference that we see in these two character qualities. This is a person who has shown himself to be spiritually mature to take care of God's people. Um, And we saw that in Acts chapter 3, didn't we? I I really apologize for making you go back and forth. But in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, that's what I meant, we see this very clearly where, what does Peter say? to the church to choose these men. I think it's very striking what Peter says. In verse 3, he says, Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit, and wisdom. Right? Now, just think about that. Not only are the apostles saying that there are men among you who are full of the Spirit and wisdom to set over this, but there are thousands of members of the Jerusalem church at this time. Right? And they're to pick seven out of those thousands of people that are full of the Spirit and wisdom. This is a high view, and I think that that's shorthand for what we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3, right? Holy Spirit and wisdom is detailed in these qualifications. Um, And I don't think that we're going to go through every single one of those, but are there any questions about the qualifications for deacons as they're given here? Brother? The appearance of the word women. Yes, that, there, there's a big difference in the list there and the appearance of the word women. Um, so, let's notice that real quick. Um, in verse 11, 
we see their wives likewise must be dignified. Okay? So the, the issue with this is the Greek is gune or gunekos, which can be translated as women or wives, right? And the word there is not there in the Greek. So it literally just reads women or wives must be dignified. And so the issue that we come to that a lot of our brother and sister churches have adopted is that there can be women deacons. Now, I'm, I'm willing to talk about that later. It's not the main goal that we have here. But if we get through some things, we can try to discuss what the various options of that are. Okay? Um, but yes, you're absolutely right, brother. That is a main difference in our text. Um, but I want us to see that through this listing, that we have a man who is a particular godly spiritual character given to them. And that the church, secondly, recognizes a deacon as somebody that has proven character. Proven character. Now, we notice this in verse 8. Starting out this qualifications for deacon, it says, deacons likewise must be dignified. Deacons likewise must be dignified. Now, what does the likewise point us back to? Description of the elder. And it says the deacons likewise must be. It's actually supplied in the Greek. But these are non-negotiable qualities that we have here. And the question that I have is how would we possibly know if somebody is not addicted to much wine, not greedy, not uh, that they do hold the mystery of the faith and the clear conscience and all of these different attributes that a deacon is supposed to have, the only way that we can truly know if somebody possesses these qualities is if they've lived in the congregation with us for a long period of time, right? Now, it's interesting. I was listening to our brother Josh House. Uh, he gave a lecture on this as well. The, the Methodist church has traveling deacons, um, or you can actually apply to the Methodist Church, become a deacon, and then you can be hired out at different churches to go and serve as a deacon. But I don't think that's the New Testament pattern that we have here. Because the deacon arises from the local church, is recognized by the local church, and installed by the local church. So a deacon, once again, is a man or a woman who assists the elders with, and is a man of great spiritual maturity, and has been proven in the congregation as well. Um, and I think that we've gone over this a few times before, but where do we see this pattern in the New Testament of the congregation recognizing men and then installing them into office rather than taking men from the outside and putting them into an office of elder or deacon? I just want us to be convinced, yes. Oh, brother. Yes. 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 Amen. Amen. Yes. And I think the book of Acts over and over again shows this pattern. If we're, if we're not convinced, and I'm going over old material only because I want us to see for our little church that this is always the pattern that the scriptures give us. Even when the, the church had to replace an apostle, notice in Acts chapter 1, in verses 21 through 23, this was what the church did. And again, we're looking through this 
so that we would know that a deacon is not only a person of particular spiritual character, but proven character in the church of Christ. Verse 21, so one of the men who have accompanied us, this is Peter speaking, and says that they have to be a man who has accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up. One of these must become with us a witness to the resurrection. And they, that is the church, put forward two Joseph called Barsabas, who they called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know who, who know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen. Okay? So we have the casting of lots and some strange thing with the apostolic office here. But I want us to notice that Peter has the church decide these are the qualifications that must be met for an apostle. Choose. Choose men. And we will cast lots to decide between them. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 3, which we've already seen, (coughs) just in passing, we have the church choosing seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to be put over this task. In Acts chapter 14, in verse 23, um, and this is the hardest to prove, so maybe I shouldn't have put it in here, but Acts 14.23 As Paul goes to Lystra and Antioch and Iconium, strengthening the souls of the disciples, notice what it says in verse 23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so the they is difficult because it can refer to the church or it can refer to the apostles doing this. And my argument is because the whole of the New Testament is so clear on this, probably means the church put forward these men and the apostles ordained them into office. Um, and lastly, in chapter 16, we have the good example of Timothy. The good example of Timothy. Um, notice verse 1, Paul. Paul's looking for an assistant, by the way. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek Notice, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So it seems even Paul, when he wanted to pick an assistant to go with him on his missionary journeys, he goes to the church and says, who's spoken well among you that I might take with me? This is a common New Testament pattern. So often what we do is we pick men for deacon or elder that are good salesmen, good businessmen that can speak well, that are good looking or something like that. But the New Testament pattern is that spiritual giftedness and personal spiritual maturity and growth are evident, and then the church chooses from that list. (coughs) Oh, excuse me. So, I, I think taking all of these different things together, I think the conclusion that we reach is that a deacon can do anything in God's church that's delegated to him by the elders to assist the elders in ministering the word of God and prayer, okay? I think the best example that we have is benevolence ministry, but I think me and Brother Caleb, and I I hope that he has some things to add that I'm sure I missed in here, but that we've grown to understand that we were more or less particularly focused on benevolence ministry as the action of deacon a couple years ago, but I think that we've grown to see that the deacon is really the assistant to the elder in the care of God's church, as Strauch's book I think, really well points out. Are there any questions about the office of deacon? Brother, sister, sorry. 
Right. Right. And so I would agree with that. I would agree with that. But it, the text is somewhat confusing, it, reading in the Greek. And what I mean by confusing is it can really go either way in your interpretation. I think that it's a more clear interpretation. So let's go to 1 Timothy 3. Um, now the strength to it, to the view that women... And when we talk about women serving in the office of deacon, we have to be careful about what we're even talking about. So there's really, as far as I understand it, um, four views to what this might mean if we're to accept that women can be in this office, and that's what's being talked about in this text. Okay, first, they are deacons, but they're women. And that's usually what we think of. They have all the authority that a deacon might have, but they're just women in that role. They could be deaconesses, which actually means something different than just women that are deacons. Deaconess is somebody that operates typically under the authority of the elder, perhaps sent to the women of the church to minister to the women of the church. Okay, um, Assistance to the deacons, which is very similar. That they're women who assist the deacons in doing what they need to do, but they don't have the role or authority in the church. And then... Lastly, wives of deacons. Okay, But the Greek here can mean wives or women. And that's where the difficulty comes in. When you're reading straight through it, it gives a qualification for obviously men. And then it says, and the women also must do this. But then it goes right back to men. And it says that a deacon must be the husband of one, one wife. Which to me seems clear that... It, it, to me it doesn't fit well with the flow of thought to think that this could be referring to another office... And one of the stumbling blocks that I have towards the women view of things is in Acts chapter 6, where we're talking about proto-deacons, what was the main problem? It was widows, right? It was, it was women in the church. One of the arguments that's usually given is that we need to have women deacons to go minister to the women in particular, where it might not be appropriate for a man to minister to a woman. But... In the early church, they said, pick out seven men. Yeah, Certainly there were gifted women in the church, and thousands of people at that time, but that's not what they do. They pick out seven men, and they're very clear about that. Another difficulty is in Romans, Phoebe is used as a deacon, and uh, the word deacon is used in the Greek for Phoebe. Uh, so Romans chapter 16. Brother Caleb, you probably know the verse. Do you know the verse? No? Okay. 16.1, okay, well, that, that was good, that was easy. Um, he said, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, and what it literally says in the Greek is a deacon um, of the church of Centuri. So I think that if you just have that verse isolated, as me and Caleb were talking about last week, if you just have that one verse isolated, Phoebe, a deacon of the church, it seems to me like maybe Phoebe was a deacon of the, of the church, Right? But I take that to mean that she was a messenger or an assistant from the church, perhaps that brought the Roman letter to the Romans. Um, again, the, the, the wide range that deacon can mean kind of confuses the issue a little bit. No. Yeah, and that's what some people have said. And really the issue that it comes down to 
is I see in Acts chapter 6 that the deacon is not just somebody that we've talked about, doesn't just stack chairs or didn't serve the tables of these women, right? But oversaw the serving of tables, right? So put seven men over this duty, okay? And so the issue that we run into and that we have to wrestle with in different churches, I think faithful churches come to different um, understandings of this, is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we see that in verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. And so, however we're understanding that authority being exercised and where the limits of that are in the local church um, is going to determine where we think women can fit into that role of deacon. If we think deacons are just people that mow the lawn and sack chairs and serve widows and all those things, which are good, of course a woman can be a deacon. But if we have a view that they're actually an oversight and management over those affairs in the church, then I think it becomes a little muddy on how you understand those things. And that's why I think the apostle said, choose seven men from among you, and why I think 1 Timothy says, let a deacon be the husband of one wife. Something else that confuses things. So maybe I'll just do my job of confusing the issue, as it maybe should be. Brother. Oh, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yes, Miss Nancy. I agree. I agree. It doesn't say that. Right. So, and again, this is the issue that we have. I think that there are men who have thought through this issue. I think they're wrong, but I think that they have thought through the Bible sufficiently enough, and they have their own reasoning. They have a different understanding. Some of them say, we don't really think that Acts chapter 6 is proto-deacons, because deacons not used in the text. I don't agree with that, but I understand where they're coming from. And so that leads them to different conclusions of what deacons do. What we're talking about, sufficiency and clarity of Scripture here, the attitude of the heart is what we're looking at. Are those churches saying, what does the Bible say about this? Are they wrestling through these texts? And I'm sure that they could defend women being deacons more than I'm trying to give you the advocate for their position here. But I don't think that that's true. In 1 Timothy 5 as well, we get a little bit, I, I think, possible clarity. Um, we, we see that in verse 3, the church is told to honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has grandchildren, or children or grandchildren, let them learn how to show godliness in their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasant in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow left all alone and has set her hope upon God and continues in supplications and prayers day and night, but uh, she who is self-indulgent is dead while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith. He's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years old, being the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work. Okay. So we see that the widows in the early church had a specific function that they were 
big into hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, doing good works, and constant in prayer. There are a lot in the early church, I think John Calvin included, who thought that these women served in, the, I, I, I don't even like the word, but an assistance to the deacons kind of role, okay? Where they were taking care of the ministry of the saints, and this is seen in 1 Timothy 5. And the word that kind of stands out is enrolled. They were enrolled. What does that mean to be enrolled? Just to receive money from the church? I don't know if that's what it's talking about. It seems like they, they had particular duties. Not that they were office holders. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and I am not saying that I believe that that's what it's talking about. But these are the difficulties in trying to think through 1 Timothy chapter 3, specifically verse 11, and how that ties together with the rest of Scripture. So are we sufficiently confused? Maybe. So, but I do think 1 Timothy 2 and how the structure of this paragraph goes from men and then talks about women or wives and then back to men, I don't think that there's any reason to have a third office in the church of deaconesses or to have just women that are deacons. Um, I think it perhaps is permissible to see that there were particular women who were assistants to the deacons, but again, I don't, I don't see that as a separate office. At least at this time. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And, and I agree. I agree with that. I think it flows the most naturally with that interpretation in mind. Um, I am, at this point, as much convinced as I can be that there are not women deacons in the church. But... I just bring that out to say that there are faithful churches, gospel, Bible-believing, and Reformed Baptist churches that have women who are not women deacons, but deaconesses or assistants to deacons in their ministries. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. No, and and that's a that's a really good question. And so we, I don't think that we have the authority to create offices that have such great authority attached to them, and just say, well, we're not going to call him a pastor, an elder. We're not really going to call him a deacon, because we have to think through those things. It's it's very difficult. I'm not I'm not going to solve all that difficulty. Yeah, brother. Yeah. Mm. Right. So usually that problem is exaggerated because you generally think of those holding the office as the ones who do the ministry. So if you're doing ministry like that, then why shouldn't you have an office title of it, right? Yeah. Um, and it really only stands out because of you know balancing in that way. But then the second part is as it relates to deacons, like because so even reading it as the history translates, their wives are to do certain things. Like there's there's an association what women are doing in conjunction with the role of the deacon that is not true of the role of the elder. Mm-hmm. The reason it doesn't, I mean, there is no qualification yeah. for the wives of elders, right? So, um, how part of that then is to, to think, okay, what does that mean? How is it that 
fits back in around to what you think users are actually doing and what actual tools you think they have. And that's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. So, which are good things. And some answers that have been given, I, I don't know that they totally answer things, is that a, a deacon's wife is more involved with hospitality, for instance, because they're inviting people in their home. And so their wives are mentioned for that reason. Um, but a, an elder is supposed to show hospitality. That's one of the qualifications for his office. So Strauch, he's uh, totally on board with men only being deacons. And he kind of takes the view that it was like, of course the elders' wives are considered in some degree in the, in the office of elder. Um, that they're, they're not going to let some elder in with, that their wife is a totally known to be a slanderer. That's going to be taken into consideration. Nobody questioned that, but with deacons, he had to add it in. That's not totally convincing to me, but that's one possible answer as well. Um, so I don't want us to end on just like an uncertain question that everything we talked about today, you just take away. Can, can elders or can deacons be women or not? I want us to take away that I think that the Bible clearly says that a deacon is a high office of a church in which there is particular character qualities associated with it and that they are here to assist the elders in the ministry of word and prayer. Okay, And no matter what biblically faithful churches view on this, that is the main piece that we all hold together very closely in common. That the teaching of the ministry of the word is the primary function of the local church and the deacon is to pave the way so that the word of God and prayer can be, can be maintained. Okay? 